Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Matthew's 1.18. So the birth of Jesus was as wise as Mary was the spouse of Joseph before they conceived together. She was found and she was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That, that content of Matthew chapter 1.18 is Matthew writing his perspective on Jesus. But whenever you read and you see the letters in red, it is the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saying this is a quote from Jesus. So Jesus himself is saying this. And the disciples then write down what Jesus said. And so this scripture we're going to read, it's a scripture that Jesus himself said. He says in Matthew 17, 33, he says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. That's like a crazy verse. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I'm telling you, it's worth giving up your life. I'm telling you today, it's worth abandoning yourself to the service of the Lord. Now, why did Jesus say that verse? Why did he say that? What's the context behind that scripture? The context of that scripture, we find it in the verse prior to 33, which is verse 32. And he says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Which tells us everybody knew who Lot's wife was. In light of that remembrance, then he says, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will keep it. What's the context of Lot's wife? Got to go back to Genesis chapter 12. The Lord spoke to a man by the name of Abram, and he tells Abraham, Abraham, get out of your land and the land of your father and your kindred to the land I'm going to promise you. Abraham was was from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, and Ur of the Chaldeans was a multi-deistic nation. They had many deities, many gods. And it is from that context of many gods that God calls Abram. Now, God doesn't call Abram because Abram was a believer of God. While he was part of Ur of the Chaldeans, a sinner, a sinful nation, God calls Abram. And he tells him, I have a plan for you. And I'm glad, listen, I'm glad God did that with Abraham. Because one thing is, if Abraham is a man of God walking on water and healing the sick, and God says, get out, I got a plan for you, 
then it will justify our way of seeing Christianity. Because some of us feel that the only way God can use us is if we're living for Jesus. On fire, hating sin, and loving heaven. But this guy, by the name of Abram, when God called him, he wasn't a believer of God. He was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And it was from the midst of an anti-God nation that would worship all sorts of deities. God tells Abraham, I've got a plan for you. And so what does Abram do? He leaves Ur of the Chaldeans and he begins to go to this place God has promised him. Now, Abraham was married. And then Abraham had a nephew by the name of Lot. And Lot was married by a nameless woman. The Bible don't tell, her her name. don't tell us her name. He was married to his wife. And from the moment Abraham decides to obey God. Now, who was Abraham before God called him? Who was Abram? He was a wealthy man. Pastor, how do you know? Because of what the Bible tells Abraham to do. He says, leave your land. If he's telling him to leave his land, it's because he owned land. Leave your kindred, which means lineage, descendants, inheritance. He says, I want you to leave everything that's yours. And I want you to follow me to a place you don't know because I've got a promise for you. What would have happened if Abraham would have said no? What would have happened if Abraham would have decided not to let it go, but to keep his life? What would have happened to Abraham if he would have said, I'm good, I'll stay in the Ur of Chaldeans, live in the Vida Loca? But he Gave it all. He gave up his house. He gave up his family. He gave up his lineage. He gave up his kindred. He gave, us, he gave up his integrity. He gave up his fame. He gave, us, he gave everything up to follow God who he had never seen to go to a place he doesn't know he's going. And so what happens to Abraham? Abraham gets up and goes. But Abraham had a nephew who knew that God's favor was upon Abraham. So what does Lot do? Abraham hears God's voice and Abraham decides to follow God. Lot decides to follow Abraham because he noticed that Abraham decided to follow God. And so Abraham says, God, I'm gonna follow. Lot says, Abraham, I'm gonna follow. And Lot's wife, who ain't got no other choice, says, baby, I got your back. So we see a sequence of blessings because there's an order of the flow of God in your life. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham speaks to Lot. Lot speaks to his wife. And because that line is not interrupted, there's a flow of blessings in the family. When they left Ur of the Chaldeans, they left it all. But, but, but because they aligned themselves to the word God gave them, look at what happened. The Bible says that both Abraham and Lot began to experience abundance and blessings to the point that Abraham 
had servants who cared for his sheep, his oxen, his yoke, etc. Lot became prosperous because he was connected to Abraham who was connected to God. And consequently now Lot now has wealth, blessings, oxen, yoke. You know what the problem of many Christians is? We want to stay aligned to God until we get everything we got and then we want to get offline. As long as Lot was following Abraham, who, by the way, Abraham was following God, Lot was okay. His house was okay. But Lot came to a point in his life when he said, you know what? I don't need to be following Abraham no more. And look at what happened. There be friction happened between Abraham and Lot to the point that now Lot's servants are fighting against Abraham's servants because they're, they're fighting over land, they're fighting over territory. And, and Abraham tells Lot, listen, so that we don't kill ourselves here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split and we're going to move in different direction. So that what? So that you can pick a place suitable for your people. And I'm going to let you pick first. This is contrary to patriarchal structure. The father, Father Abraham, the father had the right to pick first. But Abraham says, I'll let you pick first. Why? Because it doesn't matter where I go, Lot. As long as I'm following God, I could be in the jungle and God will make a way. Lot didn't understand that. Lot thought the greener the grass, the nicer the trees, the valley of being greener, that's the place I'm going. Abraham understood I could be in the wilderness and God will make water come out of a rock. So he says, you pick first. And what does, Abra what does Lot pick? He picks the plain or the valley of a place called Sodom. Now what was Sodom? And Gomorrah. See, people think the Sodom and Gomorrah, because this is what they preach to us all the time, that God burned up Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality, because of lesbianism, right? And we hear that. Preachers, God burned that city because there was a bunch of homosexuals and lesbians, and that's not why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because if that's the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, then shot God, God should have killed us a long time ago. That's not it. Listen, listen, listen. listen I, I'm going to take my time. and I, I don't think I could jump no more, so I'm just going to go down my little notes. Because <laughs> last, last, last Sunday I stomped and my knee hurt it. So. Let me tell you a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you take that for me, Papa? <laughs> Did anybody make reservations to res restaurants? Yeah. <laughs> nah, I'm going to stay within my five minutes. I will. Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? It was not because of homosexuality. It was not because of lesbianism. Mm-mm. Let me give you the history of Sodom and Gomorrah. First of all, to live in Sodom, to live in Sodom was a big deal. Sodom was one of the most wealthiest, richest cities in the time of Abraham. 
I want you to think the most richest neighborhood you would ever would want to live in, whether it is Windermere, Vizcaya, Hollywood, I don't know, wherever. The most expensive, rich place you could live. <clears throat> the citizens of Sodom needed to, fit, needed to comply with specific requirements to live in that city. You couldn't come from the, you know, boogie down Bronx, from the projects, about I want to rent an apartment and have 30 people living in one apartment to try to pay the $7,000 rent. You can't do that. You just couldn't do that. <laughs> y'all know how y'all do. Y'all shack up in an apartment and think about, I, I live in Windermere, but it's 20 of y'all in one bedroom apartment. You know? Can't do that. That's, that. That don't count. <laughs> talk about, I live in Hunters Creek. No, you don't. All right. Serious, okay. There were prerequisites to live in Sodom. The prerequisite to live in Sodom was you needed to be rich, wealthy. You couldn't be broke and live in Sodom. You wouldn't qualify. You know, today we apply for an apartment and they check our credit. Your credit was, are you rich or are you broke? If you was not rich, you couldn't live in there. So the citizens of Sodom were the elite of their time. I want, you, I want you to see the picture. When Abraham and Lot are having friction because they're growing, God tells, Abraham tells Lot, pick a city. Wherever you go, I'll go the opposite. And Lot, looking at everything, he said, wait a minute. I qualify to live in Sodom because I got money. I got wealth. I got riches. And when he walked in Sodom, looking for a house to live, everybody welcomed him because he fit the mold of the prerequisites to live in Sodom. Mistake number one. <laughs> I don't got time to preach it. That's mistake number one. You cannot find success in fitting the mold of people's standard over your life. So what happens is a lot. He says, okay. We're rich now. God blessed us. We left Ur of the Chaldeans with a cow. Now we got 2,000 cows. We left with five sheep. Now we have 100,000 sheep. We qualify. And they began to make decisions over their future at the expense of excluding God from the equation of their hearts. Because Sodom represented pride. Sodom represented arrogance. Sodom represents you don't need nobody but yourself because you've made it to a place that you are that you don't need nothing from nobody. But what Lot forgot is, is that the riches he had was the result that he followed a man who followed God. Many of us, we now have a couple of pennies in our bank account. We don't have the broken car we had before. And now we say, look where I'm at. I'm here to tell you, be careful that you exclude God who was the one who allowed you to be where you are today. Some of y'all been praying, Lord, give me a man. He gave you a man. You forgot about God. Lord, give me a woman. I can't hack this. My, my time is clicking. My clock is ticking. And your clock came. And God stopped the, the ticking of your clock. Gave you a woman. Gave you a man. And now you ain't got time for God. Be careful that you don't go to Sodom. I went to Sodom. 
Now, here's the problem about Sodom. The Sodomites didn't like poor people. Sodomites didn't like homeless people. And like every city that's wealthy, homeless knows that if they want to get money, they go to rich cities. And they'll go on the light. And they're asking. They ain't going to go to the ghetto asking for a dollar. They're going to go to the nice cities, the nice streets where there's people with money to get a tip, to get, you know, a hand-me-down. Sodomites were so prideful. People of Sodom and Gomorrah were so prideful that here's what they did. They said, we, we don't want these, these peasants tarnishing our image for we are the great Sodom and Gomorrah. And because of their pride, you know what they did? They built a big plaza in the middle of the city. And in this plaza, they made, they schemed and devised a plan which said, we're going to come up with a plan to do away with these beggars and these bums and these homeless people. And they did a plaza and they provided, they opened the doors at nighttime for the homeless people and the beggars to come into the city of Sodom who didn't qualify, they would bring them in. And, they, and with hypocrisy, they would walk them into the city and have them sleep in the benches of the, of the plaza of the city. And at nighttime, you know what they would do at nighttime? They would take them and rape them. They would rape them to lower their self-esteem. And then they would burn them alive and kill them. These were the sodomites. And so what, what, what started out as we're going to rape them to make them feel belittled became a spirit of promiscuity and homosexuality that took over a city. But it didn't start because they were homosexual. They started because they hated the hurting and the rejected and the poor. When God saw their hearts that they were prideful, he said, I'm going to burn them down. So God didn't kill the people of Sodom and Gomorrah because they were, they, were, they were into homosexuality. God destroyed them because their hearts were bad. Because they said, we don't need nobody but ourselves. And that's the city Lot says, I want to be a part of. So he joins Sodom. And now he's part of everybody else. And he's chilling with the rich folk. And God says, Abraham... I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham pleads with God, God, if there were 50, you still going to destroy it? God says, if there's 50, I won't kill them. When Abraham realized that there weren't even 50 righteous, including his nephew, he says, God, if they're 40, he says, if they're 40, I won't burn them. Abraham says, God, if there were 30, if there's 30, I won't burn them. God, God, if there's 20. Read it. It's in the Bible. If there's 20 people, will you, will you still kill them? Abraham, if there's 20 righteous people in Sodom, I won't destroy them. God, if there's five, there wasn't even five righteous people. And consequently, God says, I'm going to burn them down. So what does God do? Sends a message by an angel to Lot. and says, Lot, I'm going to consume the city. I'm going to burn them down. Not because they're sinners, but because they're prideful. Church, we must be careful. 
that we don't make room in our hearts for pride. And everything that God is doing at new birth, oh my God, what God is doing at new birth, we must be careful that we don't let pride into our hearts and feel like we have, we're here because we deserve this. If it were not for Jesus, we wouldn't have nothing. And so God sends a messenger, he said, I'm going to burn the city. And God tells Lot, Lot, take your wife, take your kids, and get out of Sodom because I'm going to burn it down. So Lot says, okay, I want to be back in the order. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham, you should speak to me. I give the instructions to my wife. So we're going to get back in the order flow of things because we don't want to die and, and be destroyed. So what does Lot does? He says, I'm going to get back into Abraham. But the problem is that Lot's wife doesn't want to be under nobody no more because she's rich now. She got two hats and a scarf and a Chanel cologne. She's so cute now. Now she don't buy in Sephora. Now she goes by in Neiman Marcus. She's got stilettos now. She, 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 she ain't riding no, no little Duncan now. She got a Lexus camel. You know what I'm saying? She, she chilling. So she says, okay. But you know what I like about God? You know what I like about God? That God doesn't look at our actions. Don't say yeah, yeah. God doesn't look at our actions. He looks at the motive behind our actions. Now say yeah. Because Lot told his wife, let's go. And you know what Lot's wife did? She got up and she went. She did everything that looked like a sign of obedience. If, if, if you were to look at Lot's wife, the moment she's, because Lot is walking out of Sodom and Lot's wife is behind him. And if you look at it from without this context, it looks as if Lot's wife is obeying. But God, the Bible says, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is. God knew the heart of this woman that although it looked like she was walking in obedience, her heart was still connected to Sodom. And what happens? She's walking away to the mountain. And as she's walking, she's hearing fire coming from heaven burning the city. But Lot's wife is thinking about her furniture. She's thinking about her curtains. She's thinking about her microwave. She's thinking about her neighbors. She's following Lot, who is following Abraham, who is following God. But although her body says one thing, her mind is someplace else. To the point where she couldn't, she couldn't handle the pressure of following God. To the point that she decides to look back. She's walking forward, but she's looking back. She's going to church, but she's looking back. Uh, she's involved in ministry. She, she, she's in leadership, but, but she's, uh, she, she, she's clapping her hands on Sundays, but she's 
back at it again. What is the thing that keeps you looking back? Whether it's pornography, whether it's adultery, whether it's lies, whether it's what, what it is that you are following Jesus and your body says one thing, but your heart says she was walking, but she was looking. There's a verse in the Bible that says, once you've placed your hands on the plow, do not put your sight backwards. My mother used to sing that. Ya que ha puesto la mano en el arado, no torne tu right, whatever. The plow. What's a plow? A plow was a thing. It was a device with a sharp, kind of like a sword, uh, an axe, oh, sorry. And this device was attached to a yoke of oxen, which was big buffaloes or something. And they would hit the oxen, and the guy would hold on. To, it had uh, uh, two arm things here, and you would hold it and push it down so that the axe, sharp sword-like thing, would make a crevice on the earth so that then you could put seeds to produce a harvest. The Bible is saying once you put your hand in the plow, you can't look back. Because if you look back, you're not going to have a straight line. And if you don't have a straight line and those seeds begin to create roots, the roots, because there's a wiggly, wobbly line, the roots are going to connect one with another and the tree will choke itself by its roots. He says, once you place the hand on the plow, you cannot look back. Once you say yes to the call of God over your life, you can't be plowing and looking back. But Lottie was walking forward, looking backward. Walking forward, looking backward. She was a movement. She was moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. She was a movement. But the moment she decided to look back from being a movement, she became a monument. And now she's a statue. The Bible says she became a statue of salt. She was stuck in the thing that kept her in her past. She was stuck. And Jesus is saying in Luke, remember Lot's wife. He who is willing to give up his life will save it. But he who keeps his life will be stuck in between two worlds and will lose it. You know what happened? Because this woman decided to hold on to the thing that she eventually lost. Lot got drunk. And he ended up having sex with his daughters and committed incest because his wife was paralyzed as assault. You think that your decisions to look back only affect you? It affects the people around you. And so today the Lord is telling us as I close. In a form of a question, he asks us, 
How's your living? How's your living? And he asks us this, not because he doesn't know the answer. It's, it's a rhetorical question to cause you to think. Jesus told a, a sick man one time in the Bible, do you want to be healed? That's a stupid question. Of course he knows he wants to be healed. But why did he ask? To cause him to think. So the Lord is asking you, how's your living? He knows how your living is. He knows. Today he's asking you, how's your living? For you to do the mental analysis and say, wait a minute. Am I moving, looking backward? Am I prideful with what I have and who I am? Or am I willing to understand that everything I have is only as a result of my obedience to him who called me when I was still in Ur of the Chaldeans? So what's the challenge? And what's the, how are we going to go home? What's our takeaway today? As I close. Our takeaway is this. Lay up your life. Lay it up. Whatever it is. Money. Power. Position. Prestige. Influence. Lay it all down. Lay it all down. And just follow the God. See, God, God, the only thing that God does not like, let me tell you something, is pride. God can handle with sin. He can't stand pride. The Bible says, you know, I like these verses that I'm in Spanish. I was raised in Spanish church. The Bible says that he looks at the haughtiness of a heart of a person from a distance. El mira de lejos al altivo. What does that mean? God welcomes everybody to the foot of the cross, except for those who are prideful. Let not the things God gave you make you feel that you don't need God no more. Why do you think, aside from the fact that he was the perfect in his creation, but why do you think that Lucifer doesn't have a chance for redemption? Because he had it all. And Lucifer said, wait a minute. I don't need God no more. I got this. Let us not allow the things that God uses to bless us get in the way of us entering where God wants us to go. So he tells you today, if you're willing to give up your life, oh, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. But if you hold on to your life, then you're going to lose everything. So let's not get to the point of losing it all to realize I should have followed. I should have given up. But let us continue moving forward, not looking backward. Hands on the plow. Fix our eyes on Jesus. So for the next 11 months, we're going to look forward. For the next 11 months, hands on the plow. For the next 11 months, we will not let pride in our hearts. For the next 11 months, we're going to submit to God's plan. For the next 11 months, we're going to align ourselves to the will of God for my life, my family, my ministry, and my church. For the next 11, we're not going to do this for 30 days because it's a 30-day resolution and go back to living a jacked-up life. No, we're going to do this because we want to be where God is. We want to honor God with our lives. Is that all right, church? Get up on your feet.
And I'm sorry I took so long. I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I want to pray for Abraham. I want to pray for Lot. I want to pray for Lot's wife. Father, look at your church, Lord. You've challenged us, Lord, these past three weeks to retrospect ourselves in light of how we're living so that we may live the life that pleases you. Today is a day of surrender. So we're going to all surrender today. All of us are going to yield to Jesus' plan for our lives today. So, Father, we ask you for forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, to cleanse us. We ask you, Lord, to change us. We ask you, Lord, to renew us and to do it by the power of your love. Father, today we ask you to help us to stay focused. Allow us to be focused. Allow us to walk in the direction of your plan and your providence, Lord. These next 12 months, 11 months before in front of us, Lord, we want to live it to the best of our abilities. The things you have in store for us, God, we can't wait to see those things, God. But as you give them to us, Lord, let us always keep you first and in the forefront of all we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Now listen to me. So the question is, what's next, Pastor? We got to move forward, church. We got to move forward. If you've been coming to church, that's not enough. There's a next step for you that have been coming to church. Your next step is be a member. Don't stay in Sodom fixing up curtains and putting on drapes. No, no, no. Your next step, if you've been coming to church, your next step is become a member. Pastor, how do I do it? Go to the table, connection table. If you're a member, what's your next step? Your next step is be a leader. Get involved in the leadership of the church. Pastor, how do I get involved? Go to the table, connection table. If you're a leader, you have a next step too. And that next step is be a discipler. Win somebody for Jesus. And once you do that, there's an assignment. Listen to me, church. There's an assignment that God has given us all. There's an assignment that God has given us all. We're all called. Listen to me. I want you to listen to me. We're all called to win people for Jesus. Everybody here is called to win people to Jesus. So I want to encourage you to start operating with that mindset. God is going to use me to bring somebody to the Lord. We can't keep this to ourselves. You have a friend that don't know Jesus. You have a relative that don't, don't know Jesus. You, right now, if I, when I count to three, I want you to think of somebody you know that don't know Jesus. One, two, three. Bam. You see that person in your mind? That person should be here today. 
It could be your auntie, could be your uncle, could be your friend, could be your neighbor, could be your, your, whoever it is. That person that don't know Jesus, it is your and my responsibility to bring them to the house of the Lord. Because we get, listen, we can get comfortable and say, oh my God, look where we at. We got curtains, we got this, the worship team, and oh my God, we make, no, no, but we can't, we can't get comfortable. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I promise you, we're leaving. Guys, give me one second. I know y'all hungry. I'm hungry too, but we're going to be all right. Listen, listen. We love, I love where God has placed us. But this is not our home. This is not my home. This is transition. Somebody say transition. We're here, but we don't belong here. We're here, we're here, and I love this place, but this is not my home. This is not our home. Our home will come when we fill out his house. I want you to look, look around you real quick. Look around you. Look around. Left and right. When we started this church two years ago, we probably had this group of people meeting on Sundays. Two years ago. About this amount of people. Two years later, bam. Bam. We got like 40 more leaders that used to be here that are now in Pointiana starting a church. We could, we could get comfortable and say, we good, Pointiana, Lupo Richie, Kissimmee, holla, no. We have to fill that section with people. We have to fill that section with people. We need to fill that section with people. I can't wait, I can't wait till I get those ropes here and burn them up on a service one day. That's my dream, that I could burn up that, them, them cables cables, them ropes. But we got to fill this house. You know somebody that don't know Jesus that should be here? Let's bring them to the church. You know somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Let's bring them. There's this guy here, this kid, he goes to youth ministry. This guy is one of my greatest evangelists. This guy is in a basketball team. He has brought his entire basketball team to church. And he's just winning people for Jesus. He's never preached this girl I know her name this girl right here thanks by the way thank you this girl right here she has won most of her college friends to the Lord she's never sang in the pulpit she's never preached in the pulpit you never seen her on a video but in her anonymous state and in her silence, she's winning. How many of you guys that are here, you might not be here, but it's probably come on Friday. How many of you guys came to church because of her? Because of, of her. Anybody here? You got to come on Fridays. This girl has brought so many people to church. Soul winners. People that are saying, I got my hands on the plow. And I'm going to take people with me. Just, just think about it. Just think about it. If everybody here brings just one Next Sunday.
just one, just one, we wouldn't fit here today, next Sunday. If everybody says, I'm bringing one, talk to you, Lord, give us a million. No, let's start with one. If we all bring one person, we will not fit in this house. We hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.